to another episode of Kaveh J Screening Room, a podcast centered around cinema, the industry, and the future. It's going to be a pretty short episode today, but I'm really excited to talk about one of my favorite studios in general, Studio Ghibli. If you if you don't know, Studio Ghibli is a Japanese animation studio that is probably one of the most consistent animation and in general studios, besides a few misses that I'll talk about in a little bit. They're a very consistent output. They don't really release that many movies. I believe there's 21 or 22 to date from 1985 when the studio was founded. And they're pretty much known for either these elaborate fantasy tales that are so well told with beautiful visuals and incredible voice acting, whether you watch the subtitled or dubbed version, both are great. Or they're kind of known for these slice of life tales that connect with human nature in a way that live action films can't and are kind of missing out because they can't i think that's why it's that's one of the reasons at least why it's so popular is because it's kind of doing something with the medium of animation in an interesting way and has set the stage for so many movies whether that be anime or otherwise over time going back into history in case you've never seen a studio ghibli movie which you got to get on it right away if you have not it's incredible incredible lineup so, the studio was founded in 1985 by three men, Hayao Miyazaki, Isao Takahata, and Toshio Suzuki, after success of Miyazaki's movie Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which I'm not the biggest fan of, and I'm not going to talk too much here on the podcast, but you got to respect it, given that it kind of just set off this 36-year run of just incredible filmmaking. And it also speaks a lot about the environment. So it's not a bad movie at all. I just did not vibe with that as much, especially because I watched some of my favorite Ghibli movies before coming around to it, which I'll get to in a little bit. Since then, they've kind of had the ultimate commitment to their craft, especially with the idea of not cutting their movies. With Nausicaa's release in America, there was a severe issue that they cut so much of the movie and re-edited it that it didn't really make that much sense. And since then, Miyazaki and company has kind of held their films to the highest standard for Princess Mononoke which I'm not going to talk about on this podcast but is one of their most famous movies um there's like a pretty well-known story about Harvey Weinstein who was the Weinstein company was in charge of distributing that movie and they wanted to make some cuts and Miyazaki sent them a note that just said nothing in it except no cuts and that kind of goes to show just how much they care about their movies which you can tell in every frame of the shot especially because At least a lot of movies today are kind of made without that much care in them. So it's always refreshing to revisit a Ghibli movie because even in the movies that aren't directed by Takahata or Miyazaki, there's so much to the movies and it's such a rewarding experience from start to finish. That's pretty much all I want to get into about the history. Just a few other things before I get into the films I want to talk about and the films that won't be highlighted. Hayao Miyazaki is the ultimate go-to for some really, really good memes about filmmaking and life. There's there's one with a cat where he tells a cat they have no schedule, which is not as funny with me just saying it right now, but honestly, the documentaries about him are really interesting and they create some amazing one-liners that translate into some really good memes that circulate around Twitter and stuff, so highly recommend those. And one other thing is that Iso Takahata died in 2018 after leaving this incredible legacy of films that I'm going to get into some of today. But it kind of marked an unknown future for Ghibli, who is already kind of struggling to figure out where they belong in the modern day movie making and animation. I'm going to mention it real quick, even though I really don't want to. There is a Studio Ghibli movie that came out in 2021. It's called Earwig and the Witch. It's on HBO Max. 
I do not recommend it. It's 3D animation instead of their usual 2D animation. And that's not even the only bad thing, even though the animation is so terrible. So it's a pretty big thing. But it's just a mess of a movie. Don't recommend it. But I know we're getting a Hayao Miyazaki movie soon called How Do You Live, which is going to be so, so good. So that kind of brings me to part two of this podcast, which is just highlighting some of their films that I think... Not even that they're underrated, because I think each Ghibli movie is pretty famous in its own right, besides a few of them. But movies that I just really, really adore and kind of want to talk about a little bit more and connect to why why I'm doing this episode and what Ghibli represents in in its role in nature, if that makes sense. Probably does not. Just quickly, some of the movies that I won't be highlighting include the most famous Ghibli movie, Spirited Away, which... I do love, but not as much as I think the general public. I really, really, really do like it. It's just, I think people say it's the best Ghibli movie. I usually tend to disagree with them. I'll explain why as I go through the episode. Another movie I'm not going to be talking about is Howl's Moving Castle. Another really, really famous Ghibli movie that I actually love, but I think it's it's a pretty well-known movie compared to some of the other ones. Again, they're all well-known. I don't even know why I'm saying that. Not going to talk about Nausicaa more than I already have. Castle in the Sky, which is an early Miyazaki movie. Pretty good. My Neighbors, the Yamadas, and Pompoko, which are both Takahata movies. Pompoko is Ghibli doing Wes Anderson, kind of. It's actually incredible. And if you watch Isle of Dogs, which is Wes Anderson's animated movie about dogs in Japan, it kind of feels like super inspired by Pompoko. Highly recommend it. Not going to talk about it anymore here. And I'm not going to talk about The Wind Rises, because if you'd like to hear about why I love The Wind Rises so much, go check out Streaming Service Gems near the end of the, actually no, near the beginning of the episode in the HBO Max section, which before I even get into the six movies I'm going to talk about here, if you would like to watch Studio Ghibli movies, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen them, or if you want to rewatch them, if you haven't seen them since you were a kid or something, they are all available to stream right now on HBO Max. If you are not in the United States, check Netflix because Netflix does have a deal with them for international territories. And there's some other movies that I'm not going to talk about that I'm not even mentioning here. So just honestly, for Ghibli, it's kind of a matter of going through their posters, even though you're never supposed to judge a movie by its poster or book by its cover. Or I guess that expression kind of applies to a bunch of things. But sometimes it's nice because you can kind of tell what kind of vibe it's going to be by the poster or read the summary, which is the even better way to do it. But I'm just going to jump right in. So firstly, I'm going to talk about the 1989 Hayao Miyazaki film Kiki's Delivery Service, which if you have not seen it and not seen any Miyazaki films, I would probably say it's the best start into his filmography. It's a very, very simple movie, and it knows it's a simple movie, but it is such a feel-good movie and so relatable. I'm just going to give a bare-bones summary of the plot for all of these, but... It's basically about a witch who goes to, I think a 13-year-old or 14-year-old witch who goes to live alone in a seaside town because that's like the tradition for witches and it's supposed to happen for a year. So it's her, her broom, and her black cat. And she basically starts this delivery service for a bakery. And it's the thing I love about Kiki's delivery service is not only it's so simple, but so well done. It's that it just kind of represents the joy of childhood and the joy of friendship and being able to approach the world with a fresh and unfiltered mind and just experiencing the natural beauty of little towns, scenery, the nature, and the idea that like the stakes are never too high, even though there is a big like climactic scene 
you're never like worried because you always know things are kind of going to work out and that it's just a happy movie. And sometimes you need that. I think it's like a a hundred minute long movie, but a hundred minutes of good energy. You can't, can't pass it up. The second movie I want to talk about is only yesterday, which is the first of the two Takahata films I'm going to talk about in these six. And I think only yesterday is, let me put it this way. If Kiki's was the best way to get into Miyazaki, I think only yesterday is the best way to get into Takahata because it's, it strikes a really interesting juxtaposition between the fantasy complexities of Hayao's work with the more simple down to earth kind of harmony with nature that's so prevalent in Isao's work. It's basically about an office worker who goes into the countryside to reconnect with nature and kind of figure her life out and as she's there picking I think flowers she revisits these moments from her childhood and how she got to this spot that she's in it's kind of connects with Kiki and the idea that it's about like our childhood seeping into our adulthood but in every other sense besides the animation style which is absolutely gorgeous as per usual it's completely different in energy it's a slice of life movie a perfect encapsulation of the, like the summer heat, which is super weird because first off, it's animated. And second off, it's hard for a movie to really create that warmth of feeling like the hotness of a season. And that's one of the things Ghibli does so well. And one of the reasons why it is the go-to in the spring and summer for movies and anime in general, at least for me. And there's kind of a power to exploring these really, really, really real and prevalent concepts in a way that's not that you wouldn't expect it at least because you wouldn't expect these complex themes to be handled in animation because for some reason people think animation is only for children which is such a reckless opinion and completely incorrect so only yesterday it's a great introduction to ghibli in general and a great introduction to takahata going back to miyazaki for ponyo which ponyo is such a gem i cannot even emphasize it enough in miyazaki's filmmaking it's kind of slept on a little bit not because it's unfamous or no one's seen it just because i think movies like my neighbor totoro and spirited away house movie castle all overshadow it and it kind of works its way into i think it came out in 2007 so it was in the midst of like not even the rise of disney just that wave of disney animated movies and pixar that we've been that we've still been on to this day it's basically about a fish girl who meets this little boy and they become friends Again, it's another reiteration of Kiki's delivery service, but even lighter in this point where the fact that the villainy never feels like super villainous or disturbing or deceptively evil because the stakes are definitely high, but they're not high in a way that you're super worried about what's going to happen. It's always good vibes. And I know that's kind of just repeating what I said for Kiki's delivery service, but Miyazaki's films have a vibe and the vibe definitely reigns through in Ponyo. Quick note, if you've heard of the movie Lou on the Wall, which is directed by Masaki Yuaza, who I would like to do an episode on in the future because he's an incredible, probably one of the best modern animators, at least one of my favorites. His movie Lou on the Wall is kind of, I think he's even come out and said it, that it's super, super similar to Ponyo. It's also on Netflix if you'd like to stream it. It's not as good as Ponyo because the one thing Ghibli does is kind of set the highest standards that are nearly impossible to reach and it that idea shines super super brightly within the documentaries about them which are also on hbo max and i highly recommend the next movie i want to talk about is jumping back to takahata for the tale of princess kaguya which was 
I believe released in 2013, but then in 2014 in the United States. I was going to say that it was, it technically still is. In 1988 and 2013 were the only two years that Ghibli has ever released two movies in one year. And they've both been one Takahata and one Miyazaki movie. In 1988, it was Grave of the Fireflies, which I have not talked about yet on this podcast, but highly recommend. It's a really heartbreaking story and beautifully told, but so depressing. So prepare yourself. I believe it's on Hulu. And then My Neighbor Totoro, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. 2013 was Kaguya and The Wind Rises, which is a stellar lineup. Both were nominated for Oscars. I believe The Wind Rises was in 2014 and uh, The Tale of Princess Kaguya was in 2015. It's insane to me that The Wind Rises lost to Frozen, but that's a completely different issue. And Kaguya lost to Big Hero 6, which I like Big Hero 6, but The Tale of Princess Kaguya is an absolutely fantastic movie. Another thing to note before I even get into the plot is that it is done in charcoal animation, which is unlike anything Ghibli has ever done. And it's about a princess born inside a bamboo stalk who kind of becomes this beautiful woman who attracts all these suitors and has them fulfill these really odd plans for her but that's there's so much more to it it's one of the longer Ghibli movies over two hours and 10 minutes it might be like two hours 20 I'm I'm not entirely sure but you do not feel the runtime it's a somber poignant film that is just so it's honestly hard to describe because it's so different than anything Ghibli has ever done but feels so at home it's honestly hard to describe because it's just such an incredible movie that kind of reaffirms what kind of filmmaker Takahata was in general and why his films will always be so valuable and above that why you can never confuse the two's movies especially because I talked about this only yesterday and Kiki's Delivery Service which I did back to back but it's really really hard to accidentally mix up their movies because there's such different energies to them and they tell such different stories and that's kind of the power of Ghibli is that it's not it's not the fantasy studio that everyone thinks it is when they watch movies like Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle. There's so much to it. I honestly think Tale of Princess Kaguya is probably the most underrated Ghibli movie because I don't see it in the headspace as much as some of Ghibli's more famous movies. The next movie I'm going to talk about is from Up on Poppy Hill, which is not even directed by Miyazaki Sr. or... Takahata. It's directed by Miyazaki's son, Goro, who has a rough history with Ghibli. He's the son of Hayao, and his movie Tales from Earthsea, which came out, I think, in the mid-2000s, was the first Ghibli movie to come out that kind of got panned by critics and audiences. He's also the director of the aforementioned Earwig and the Witch, which, again, I know I mentioned at the beginning, please don't seek this movie out. There are so All the movies of Ghibli are on HBO Max. There's no need to find this one. From Up on Poppy Hill is a weird because it's just really, really good. And it's unexpectedly good given how Tales from Earthsea was. It's set in 1963 and it's about this guy and this girl kind of coming to terms with their adolescence. And it's set against the modernization of Japan in preparation for the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. It's honestly weird that Goro made this movie because it's so unlike the other two that he's made, but I'm so glad it exists. It's a beautiful story and is kind of a reaffirmation that Ghibli movies do not have to be directed by the two main directors to be really good. Whisper of the Heart is another example of a Ghibli movie that is not made by 
Miyazaki or Takahata and is so good. And that definitely has a lot of acclaim. But I feel like from up on Poppy Hill kind of goes under the radar just because either people don't like it as much or they don't find anything in it, which honestly, if you don't find anything in it, that's completely fine. It just worked really well for me and kind of came at a time where I was looking for a movie just like it. It's more reminiscent of some of the modern anime series and films that I've seen, especially Masaki Yuaza's Keep Your Hands Off Izuken, which is another series on HBO Max that I highly recommend and maybe I'll talk about in the future. But the idea of the power of forming clubs and just going for your ideas, it's really, really, really good movie. The final movie I want to talk about is the one, the only, My Neighbor Totoro. I had to put this one on the list because for me, this is the Ghibli movie. There's never been any doubt about it once i saw it i completely fell in love with it this has become a kind of unpopular opinion to the people i've told it to but it is my favorite ghibli movie i think it's much better than not much better i think it's better than spirited away and kind of sticks in my mind and my heart a lot more than spirited away did and there is a plot i could talk about the plot i don't really want to because that the idea that there's nothing that happens is one that's talked about a lot with this movie and that's the beauty of it and i think that's why it's so famous is that it deals with all of these complex themes covering up the sorrow and trauma in our lives as a child and trying to find the joy and use our imagination to cope with real life events it's just a movie that seeps with heart from start to finish it's i think i watched it subtitled which usually i've the first time i watch ghibli movies i tend to watch them dubbed and then go back and forth it's incredible. I imagine the dub is great too, but it's hard to believe that this came out in 1993 because it has themes that will forever be timeless. They're still timeless today. And the animation looks just as good now as it did back then. And I think that's the power of 2D animation. I'm a long time advocate for continuing 2D animation. Quick shout out to Wolfwalkers, which did not win the Academy Award a few weeks ago, but I honestly did prefer it to Soul just because the animation is so incredible and that is on Apple TV Plus and it's one of the only 2D animation movies in the recent day which sucks because I just I love 2D animation and I think that's another reason why Ghibli is just so incredible to watch their movies and just relax to them. So a quick word on why I wanted to do this episode obviously I love talking about anime it is I'm not going to say underrated because first off, I say underrated all the time. And secondly, it is like one of the most popular genres in the world. I guess it's not even a genre. It's just kind of a style of filmmaking. So it's one of the most popular styles of filmmaking in the world. But in particular, I wanted to release this in the beginning of May or late April is when I'm recording because spring and summer is something that's so profoundly explored in Ghibli movies and in anime in general honestly the sound of cicadas that's always in the background is just so comforting to me for some reason and just the way Ghibli and their animators draw these natural landscapes with these seemingly endless fields and that's so prevalent and not only only yesterday but in some of their other movies when Marnie was there which again I've not talked about in this pod highly recommend just the looking at the nature sometimes you get distracted from what's actually happening in the movie because it's just so beautiful and it's a weird time right now we don't know what's happening vaccines are coming out the pandemic is hopefully coming to an end but there's kind of this mass confusion it's always nice to kind of be able to sit back with a movie that is a comfort movie and that makes you forget about all the issues happening in the world and i feel like ghibli is 
the studio that makes those movies makes them consistently makes a lot of them in retrospect and makes them good it's not like you ever go into at least for most Ghibli movies you never go into them and walk out super disappointed there's always something to find in them and they have aged so well and they have such a rewatchability to them that there's things that you'll miss and a lot of things you'll miss so that is the Ghibli episode it is a lot shorter than most of my episodes but sometimes that's nice my neighbor Totoro is only 86 minutes and look what it does accomplishes so much so I will be back next week for another exciting episode to talk about Christopher Nolan's Tenet and then we have a surprise episode the week after that and that will mark the end of season one and just a quick note so that I can say it in advance if you've listened this far thank you for sticking with me After the ending of season one, we're going to move to a bi-weekly release schedule, still on Thursdays at 12 p.m., but just every other week. And thank you for sticking with me this far. I hope this served as a really good interlude episode. If you have not seen a Studio Ghibli movie, get on it. Again, they are on HBO Max right now or Netflix if you are not based in the United States. Don't take my word for that, though, because I don't know exactly which countries, but Ghibli, good stuff. All right, so I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me at Kavi Jolinas on Instagram and Twitter. And I will see you next week in the screening room. Thank you. Peace out.